Hello and welcome to the Danielle Newnham podcast where I interview tech founders and innovators to learn the inspiring human stories behind the game-changing tech we use every day. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different as it's actually a podcast episode where I appeared as a guest as opposed to a host and I'm sharing it here because I think you will find it useful. The podcast is called Digital Europe Now and Beyond which is about European tech entrepreneurship and innovation and is hosted by serial Spanish entrepreneur Pau Garcia Mia. In the episode you're about to listen to, Pau talks to myself and South American but island-based founder Alejandro Guterres about what it's like to start a startup in Europe versus the USA. And it includes topics like access to funding and networks, as well as why I believe in founders seeking out communities and networks at the beginning of their startup journey, why we should be highlighting more female founders, and what Europe has to offer founders today versus the landscape here just 10 or even 20 years ago. The episode has a lovely international flavor and it isn't focused on just Silicon Valley like so many podcasts are. I think you'll find some useful lessons here, so please do enjoy it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Digital Europe Now and Beyond. This is a podcast where we discuss how European Union is doing in terms of sustainability, entrepreneurship, or basically innovation. I'm very excited to um, host today's episode. And I know I say this every time we do an episode, but today it's quite special because I have um, two guests with me that are um, experts on entrepreneurship and on innovation. And I'm saying this is special to me because as an entrepreneur, it's like something special where you get to talk about how are we in terms of Europe doing um, when it comes to starting companies, starting new ventures, and at some points also competing with other markets that may be sometimes a little um, overwhelming from a European perspective, like US, Asia, or basically markets where innovation is worldwide driven. However, we are not that bad. I would say we have lots of things to be super proud about, and we'll explore them today. With me, um, I have Danny Newman, Danielle Newham. She's a podcast host. You are the founder of the Junto Network, and you are a tech entrepreneur, author, and podcaster. So, um, I mean, thank you for uh, being, you know, on the other side for one day. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate that you are here with us today. Hi, Danny. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, with us, we also have Alejandro Gutierrez. You are uh, CEO of the Factor Labs, uh, a company that um, I was going, it was started in Ireland, if I'm right. That's correct, yes. And uh, you're a professional currently offering over 10 years worth of commercial industry and consulting experience and expertise in a lot of things that, however, you've um, mostly um, centered your later career on disruptive technologies such as blockchain, AI, and IoT, innovation, change management, continuous improvement, etc. One of the most interesting things about you, Alejandro, if you'll allow me, is that um, you are one of the top experts in Web3 and its possibilities before, during, and after the hype of uh, blockchain we all lived some time ago. And I always say that the best way to know who is really in charge of the knowledge of an industry 
the best way to know it is just wait for the hype to go down and see who remains working and battling there. And you are still there on Web3 and showing its possibilities beyond uh, cryptocurrencies, which were one of the, let's see, most seen um, offerings or possibilities. So thank you uh, for being with us today. No, thank you very much. I'm really happy to be here. You know, just to kick off the conversation, both of you um, have created companies. Uh, I, I did it too in, in Spain. You have international expertise on this. I would like to start by asking, how well are we? Let's see if uh, someone wants to start a new startup, a new venture in, in European Union, and that person is doubling between starting it in the EU, starting it on, in UK, or starting it in the US, in Asia. Let's see, the, the country doesn't matter. Would you say we do have um, some points we can defend to make that person make the final decision to come here, or it's a battle that we should consider lost and let's assume the best innovators will basically not start here. Danny. Well, I would say, first of all, that I think historically we would have been more inclined to start in the US or Asia in big markets, depending on what uh, the company was, obviously. Uh, but now I think, that, you know, the world is democratized. We all have access to the Internet. You can work from anywhere. Most people can build companies in the UK as well as they can um, build them in the US. The only difference is the access to funding, which I think is a huge problem here. Um, I think we don't really support ambitious founders. I've always said this, but there's something about European founders compared to US founders. And I find them a lot more humble. Like I've always interviewed like a wide scope of people for my podcast. And it's always the Americans that are very like, of course it was going to work. You know, whatever their idea was, it was like something, it's just something instilled in them from school, like from childhood, just everything in America is like a possibility. Whereas, you know, I remember interviewing someone, a founder from Sweden, and he said that if a company fails in the US, it is just part of everyday life and you get up and you go again. If, if you fail in Europe, it's a lot of social embarrassment, like going bankrupt is not great over here compared to over there. So I think um, I'd, I stick with UK. I'm very for the UK. I think there's access now to lots of programs, in, including from Huawei, who I'm sure we'll talk about later. But there's loads of programs now that allow us to have access to money and networks abroad, which I do think is important, but yet still be able to have a company do extremely well in the UK, uh, especially, you know, modern day technology companies in, in terms of AI and things like that. There's a lot going on here and a lot of support. So I'm all for the UK. I was wondering, because you were mentioning, you know, the US way of, of thinking, the, the, the faster you fail, the better, and uh, it will st uh, help you to move on and, and continue. However, you go, you walk over any street on major city of the US and you'll see a lot of people that weren't able to end up mm -hmm. after failure. I mean, we're talking about how different it is to be successful there and here. However, I would say it's safer and better mm -hmm. to fail in Europe than to fail in the US because of the support system we have, not just only on health, education, etc. But it, it's a little scary. I mean, I, I, I'm back from the US just a few days ago, and it's not like it's getting better, but it's actually getting worse. The number of people who are actually living in the streets and, and you talk to some of them and the answer is, you know, I, I failed at some point of my life. Still not, mm. not exactly the country. Sometimes they sell to, you know, failing five times and then you'll find a successful idea, et cetera, because some people will not get to the third failure without really not being able to stand up. Right. 
I think it's a life of extremes because over here, like yeah. you said, you know, we don't we don't um, accept failure as part of everyday life, but that's good. But also when I mentioned about the funding earlier, if you're a founder, young founder here, maybe, you know, you haven't even started a company before, you'll find it hard push to raise a few million. Whereas in America, there is so much money and so much funding and so much hype that a young entrepreneur possibly not even from America, who's come over, been promised the world, raised 100 million before they really know what they're totally doing. And of course, losing 100 million with all your shareholders and everything else is a lot worse than losing a few million. So I think that plays a part as well. I think you're right, it's safer to fail here. You know, Alejandro, you, you have, a, I would say, a super international experience. You've worked in Australia, you've worked in Ireland, you have some American experience as well. Um, if you had to start a company today, um, and not a web three company, because that's tricky as some markets are more pro web three and blockchain, but, uh, an average, you want to sell uh, sneakers online, which would be you, the country of choice from those where you've lived? Well, uh, that's a, that's a tough question, but look, I, I would say like, I think like I've been living in Europe for the six, for the last six years. Right. And I think Europe has all the key components and key ingredients uh, for startups to grow, right? And I think you mentioned something really important, Pao, that is that safety net. I think that safety yeah. net that exists in Europe, I, I don't believe that exists anywhere else in the world. Uh, I, I don't even think you have that safety net in Australia. Uh, the level of care from the social perspective in Europe is, is completely different than anywhere else that I've been before. And and that helps, right? I think, I think as an entrepreneur, uh, you don't want to have at the back of your mind the fact, look, if I if I fail here, I'm going to lose absolutely everything and everything I've been working for the last 15 years. And and, and that pressure there, yeah, in a way, is can be something that, that can catalyze big projects, but at the same time, having that at the back of your head every single day, sorry, is, is not something that you want. Like, uh, it's extra pressure that, that you don't need. Like, I guess being an entrepreneur is, is already difficult, is, is stressful. So you, every single piece of, of complexity, right? Or layer of complexity that you can, you can take out is better, right? From the performance perspective. You know, I was talking this morning with a female entrepreneur and she just came back also from the U.S. with a program for female entrepreneurs that are, you know, willing to move their company there, et cetera. And she was mentioning something really interesting. She was saying, um, when it comes for a woman to, 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 to be willing to start a family and being entrepreneur at the same time. This is quite easier in Europe than in the US. And I said, how come? I mean, in the US, it's the land of opportunities and everything. I said, yeah, but you know, there is a big difference. Now in Europe, in most countries in Europe, Spain, for example, you have the same maternity and paternity leave. So basically a woman willing to raise a family, she'll be out of business for four to six months, out of business for four to six months if it's a man. However, in the US, when it's the woman having a baby, she'll need to be out at least a few weeks because, because it's, it's basically biological need. However, the man will be working the day after the birth. Like sometimes it's like, oh yeah, I had a baby yesterday, but I'm here again. So when it comes for an employer to, 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 to be in the need of choosing a profile, she'll prefer men over women. When it comes uh, for um, an investor to choose a project, they will be biased towards men rather women, etc. So she was saying, you know, in the end, um, having more rights, more protections, more layers of regulation that may seem as something contrary to innovation, it basically makes things like entrepreneurship more equal. 
between genders. And, and the way of being equal is actually, for example, ensuring both a man or a woman will be the same time out of business when they have a baby. I don't know what's, if that's something you touch or not on the F equals project, but I think that's an interesting perspective I didn't think about before, uh, Danny. Yeah, there's a hundred percent. I mean, I um, I set up F equals, so I worked in tech since 2006. And whenever I would go to any kind of conference, a tech conference, I was literally only the only female, unless there might have been like a female journalist, there were very few female founders back then. And if they were, they were, you know, they weren't at these conferences. Um, so I set up F equals was all about kind of empowering women. And we used to have like slogan tops that would sell and things like that. But it was really all about getting women together that were founders and giving them the support that they needed because they felt so isolated. And I think like what you said, I mean, a lot of it is to do with paternity and maternity leave. In the UK, it's not as equal as it is in other European countries. But when you have a culture that supports men, you know, going straight back to work and, and not supporting women. And also, I don't know about other European countries, but in the UK, once you've had a baby, actually going back into work is very difficult. It, it's made extremely hard uh, for various reasons. And I think that is changing. But, you know, if you look at COVID, what happened during COVID was uh, we'd hear all the time about women that were being kind of forced out of the workforce because, you know, they were having to be primary carers for the children. But actually what I saw, which doesn't get reported in the press, is the amount of women and friends of mine that became founders as a result of not being able to do the work they could. So they set up on their own. And that's the great thing about the kind of digital world that we live in now, that people can set up a business from their home. But 100%, there needs to be way more done, especially in the workplace for women to support them. But it's, I think, my main thing, and this is what F Equals was all about, is showing female role models. You know, the tech press never used to cover the women at all. I interviewed um, Linda Weinman, who had um, a company called lynda.com. She sold it. She was in her 60s. She sold it like six years ago for $1.5 billion. And I asked her at the time, it was like a few months later, I said, oh, you know, how did the press celebrate it? And she said, they didn't write about it. She said they just didn't. And it was sold to LinkedIn. So, yeah. you know. Linda is like the biggest place. To, it's the best platform to learn mm. things. It's now LinkedIn learning, right? Yeah. Yeah. LinkedIn it's bought awesome. it. Yeah. But for any woman to sell a business, a tech platform for $1.5 billion, uh, you know, why are we not talking about her? And that's the thing. So to me, it's all about role models. There's a lot that can be done within the workforce, a lot of things that can be done to support women um, entrepreneurs. But I think the main thing is we need to see more visible role models in the press at, at, at events, you know, speaking on stage and things like that. So I think the more visibility we have, the better. Yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm going back to the main part of the podcast in a, in a minute, but I, I I find this really interesting because at some point, um, it feels like when you have, for example, a, a girl, a young girl, a woman in her sixties, a woman um, selling a company or something, the news will somewhat go around the fact she is a woman. I, I just and I, I I deeply admire masterclass, so please do not understand this as I'm criticizing them. But I was seeing this masterclass.com um, new course on the first woman to become a successful entrepreneur, billionaire. Okay, however. You know, you, you, it's, an, it's more a question than an opinion because if you are against it, I'll probably uh, try <laughs> to understand why it sounds so obvious to me. But the, the story should not be she's the first woman to do something, but, you know, she's the founder of two giant tech startups that were acquired. But still, we fall into the first woman. Okay, if it's the 60s and she went to the moon, that may be something. But right now in 2003, that's not exactly the message I would like to give to my daughters. And I have 
three kids, all of them boys, so still. That's not either the message I want to give them. Like, this is the first girl to do that because they may ask, we've been doing that as we as in boys for dozens of years, right? So it's news that a woman did it. I don't know if your your perspective on that, but um, if you have to choose between low press, uh, focusing that the fact that you are a woman or... Um, you know, no press. At some point, I would just, you know, do not use this as a, as a clickbait because I'm not into it. Do you know, I'm the opposite. Only because I just think whatever press we can get, we should get. Because okay. if you had three daughters, you'd want them to see somebody that represents them, whether it's the first or not. I can and unfortunately, that. that is the angle that most... And by the way, I love Masterclass. I've interviewed the founder of Masterclass. He's fantastic. Yeah, I, mean, I admire yeah, yeah. them. But yeah, I, yeah, I saw yeah, this and good. I thought... Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I think I mean that's just probably a marketing angle, isn't it? You know, when you see it, it's an advert, and they're they're trying to get people on board. But but a lot of people still don't know who she is. So that's Whitney Wolford that you're talking about of Bumble, and loads of people still don't know who she is. Like if you went on the street in any European country and say, name three top entrepreneurs or yeah, they're three, three boys. Yeah. yeah, they're never ever going to say women. So I just think, however we get these women onto the front pages or onto the TV screens. Let's do it. But I agree with you. It shouldn't be such a massive thing. But then actually, if you look at the history, uh, you know, it was only about 60 years ago or less that women could, well, in this country anyway, have, a, have their own bank accounts. You know, we weren't allowed to write checks. We weren't allowed to start businesses because you can't start a business without a bank. No. Um, so there's it's lots five of... Five minutes ago. I mean, it's yesterday, yeah. right? It sounds yeah. like it's three centuries ago, but no. Yeah. So yeah. this is the thing. So I think, yeah, I think as many women as we can get out there, the better. Sorry. But I know what you're saying, 100%. It shouldn't be such a novel thing, but quite frankly, it is. Yeah, like you know, um, it's really patronizing as well. Yeah. Uh, with, with women and, and, and with minorities, right? And they use it as clickbait, depending on which narrative they want to just push into, mm. in, into, their, into their readers. That, that happens yeah. all the time, right? And you see it. Yeah. And, you, yeah. you know, I, I started this company almost 10 years ago. Um, it was two co-founders. We are married. Um, and she was coming from the big consultancy. It was a consultancy firm. I was coming from entrepreneurs. And it was a consultancy. So it's like, it was like 80% of what she did. Now the company was acquired. And I remember uh, different countries around the world talked about that acquisition, right? And nobody cared about who the founders were, which was pretty nice because they were talking about the company. But in Spain, they did care. And one of the main headlines I remember was uh, my name, sold his company, blah, blah. And then in the subtitle said, the company who was out also founded by his wife. And she mm. said, you know, I'm done with it. Like, I, I'm not your wife. I mean, I mean, she is, and we're very happy. <laughs> she said, you know, if, if, if it happens that I'm, and, and she decided that any time we'd be introducing ourselves, we'd never mention our story. Because something that could be nice, like, you know, when you're starting a company with your couple, exactly the same shares, example, everything the same. When it comes to reporting it, and the reporter was a woman, and that was something that she was not expecting. But even sometimes, when you know the people, when you when you know the story behind them, she visited us, she interviewed us. In the end, we do this to ourselves. So it's it's a shame because what did what this situation created to an entrepreneur, which is Anna, it was like, oh, I really prefer to not be exposed to all of this because in the end, and I'm sorry for what it's it's full of crap, right? When it when it comes to putting in a headline, oh. Oh, she's the wife. Oh, you are also working on that company in relation. It's like, no, I, I'm the one bringing the knowledge. I'm the one bringing from the, coming from the, from the real business and not uh, the other side. Anyway, let's go back. But point taken, and I'll and I'll think about that. Thank you for it is, letting me. It is really disrespectful. Like uh, th these things are so disrespectful, right? Because at the end of the day, when you are in the background doing a lot of work, right, and people just putting a a, a title on, it, it's like, ah, yeah, 
yeah it, it happens a lot as well right like these things happen a lot yeah no totally and 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 still um let's talk about key takeaways because otherwise we'll we'll just spend <laughs> a full episode talking about about this um i would like to know which are your uh, key takeaways from your experience starting a business selling a business and 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 you know mostly expectations versus reality we all when we are going to sell a business we have this idea of the success day you sign on the notary you are rich and then like the life starts or the life ends depending on i think like the next day the next monday you you go up and you do the same because probably they ask you to stay for a more for a few more years so that expectations versus reality on 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 success and also expectations versus reality on on failure which are your key takeaways and of course then if you want to mix that with the fact that you are you are a woman and you sell the sell the company etc so that would be also interesting to know um the differences between uh the story or i or alejandro may have lived and and and, and yours um so if you want to start alejandro and then we listen yeah. daniel we compare the stories yeah look I, I haven't had the chance to exit a business yet like, I, I haven't had that 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 experience and i i hope it happens or not like i i think to be honest with you uh, i think giving or or the fact that if you exit or not means that is the business is more or less successful. I, I think that's, that's just a label that has been created by VCs because that's yeah. the way that they exited. That's the way that they're going to make money. Yeah. Right. So totally. from that perspective, well, it happens great. If it doesn't fantastic. And if the business is successful and it's doing what it's meant to do great. And I'm happy with that. But like, if you go actually from the experience of creating multiple businesses, I think every single business, yeah, definitely there are things that, that you can clearly, uh, learn and bring from business to business, but every single business is so different, right? And and not just for the vision and, and what the business is doing, but also the time frame while you were doing it. Like uh, it's something completely different, creating a pivot in a, a business in the middle of COVID than right now, or when you're at the peak of economic situation that when it's not that easy to actually get liquidity. So from that perspective, I think every business is different, right? And you, you need to just be ready and expect whatever it comes with every single one of those businesses, right? The, the other thing is for me, right? There are two critical things. One is the team. If you don't have a team, forget about it, right? Like uh, you, if, if you're an entrepreneur that believes that it's going to be just taking everything and do 80% of everything that's going to happen, that business is not going to scale, right? It's impossible you're going to be able to do that, right? So the team for me is critical that like you need to have solid team and that team actually needs to just go and believe on the vision that has been set up by the founder, CEO, and the big guys in there, right? Without that, forget it. And it's funny because I was coming, I arrived today in Singapore, right? And one of the things I was watching on the plane was a WeWork uh, documentary. Right. Yeah, we crashed, and, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy, right? Because what you see actually is like a, they, they have a fantastic team and unfortunately it's not seen that way in, in the documentary, but they have a fantastic team and they have a team that believe solely in a vision. If that vision was a correct one or not, that's a different story. But these people actually were ready to die and go to battle for that vision. And, and if you see actually like that, that is a common denominator in a lot of successful businesses. Yeah, I, I mean... I think it's a common denominator and also, um, I would say, at least an American common denominator. I mean, the, the mentality, uh, you know, behind entrepreneurs and, and the sensation, the security when they talk. Like, it's, it's, it's 
obvious for them that success is there. It's just either I'll get there faster, like later, sooner, but I'll, I'll get there. That's in Europe. It's like, if I'm successful, I'll do something. Look, I remember having a chat with, with, with an investor a few years ago, right? And the guy said to me, he said, you know what the difference is between European companies and American companies? And he said to me, American, American companies, right? American entrepreneurs, they have a fiat and they sell you that fiat as if that fiat is a Ferrari. Yeah. They have there an, an Enzo there park for you to buy, right? Like, this is the thing. The other side, Europeans, they have a Ferrari there, but they are selling it more like a fiat because they are not so sure. And they like, so I think that's a huge, in Ireland is, is, is critical, right? Like a, like a Irish entrepreneurs, usually they, they undersell themselves and they undersell their, their solutions. And, and then like, it's funny because they're coming from, from, from abroad, right? From, from outside the bubble. And they're starting comparing different things it's like, wow, the solutions that you have here are fantastic. You need to sell it at that level. Yeah, but we're not sure. It's a bit cocky. Like, so it is really interesting how these things play, right? Um, Danny, you, you are part of the founding team of UV now. Um, you are acquired by um, Havas Media. Um, do you remember like that reality versus expectations like what what were you expecting as an entrepreneur the day of selling the company and uh, let's say the year or the 18 months after that and what did you find in reality was it better or worse than that huge expectations of oh well tomorrow i am a successful entrepreneur like officially i get the label according to business as alejandro was mentioning well i never see I, I might be different to some people to some founders but i never saw success as selling the company to me success was if we because our vision at the start was to build something different uh it was the kind of the dawn of the mobile age so we got in really early um and when we were building the company we had a very clear vision i mean that's partly to do with the the two kind of main founders were engineers we'd all worked together at a startup prior to that that had gone under so we'd learned so many valuable lessons this was a company that had, had tons of funding so we did everything different we didn't go after any funding uh, maybe we could have been something greater if we had i don't know but we like i said we were quite lucky the, the, the timing was fantastic um I had actually had a baby by the time that we were selling the company. So I had stepped away partly, you know, to focus on that and write a book. But um, I mean, it's fantastic. Getting acquired kind of is like a pat on the back for the hard work that you put in because everyone knows that at a startup that, you know, it's just, to me, it's like having another child. It was my first child. And again, like yourself, I uh, started the company with my husband and somebody else that we'd worked with. Nice, and you know. Yeah, well, he became my husband. He wasn't my husband then, but he, it was such um, a difficult time because even though we were on the crest of this mobile wave, creating mobile apps for massive agencies and companies, um, there were so many obstacles in the way because we were small fish in a massive pond and we were going up against big agencies who didn't have the technical expertise. But like you were saying earlier, Alejandro, about like the Americans, they really know how to sell things. Well, we were up against these agencies who had, you know, they were backed by other big agencies in America, whatever. And their storytelling, I mean, they're like advertising companies, right? All they do is sell all day long. And they would sell in things to clients that we were like, oh, I'm not sure we can actually do that. But the whole idea was that they sold the dream, but I think we lived it. We, we got to build a company with, I think by the end of it, there's like eight to nine of us. And it was just such a close-knit family. And I think being acquired was literally, like I said, a pat on the back. It wasn't really about money. It wasn't really about anything other than we achieved that dream of building a unique studio that 
you know, puts the engineering first and, and the fluff on the back burner. You know, it, it's really interesting when um, each of us uh, entrepreneurs, we, we talk about success and what success meant for every company we started. It usually comes to different, um, you know, answers depending on the company itself, the team, the size and everything. However, there is something in common, which I, I personally do not like, I don't know you, which is that message, which is permanent. Um, we are in the brink of a new era. I, I've heard that. I started 18 years ago on, on the entrepreneurship world, digital entrepreneurship world. I've heard that with um, Web 2.0, with VR, AR. Now it's um, extended reality or um, how do you call it? Spatial computing, definitely blockchain, cryptocurrencies, Web3, um, AI now. Um, you know, it's so hard to differentiate on what is really going to make a giant change in society and what is just uh, a hype that needs to be slowed down to see what's really in there. Um, my question for you is, is, is um, what's next? Because it looks like AI will be a thing that will stay forever. But we were also saying the same thing like five minutes ago about metaverse and so far, I've not spent more than five minutes in the metaverse, but I'm spending like an hour per day using different generative AIs today. So what's your five cents on how different or similar is AI versus previous technologies that were super trendy over the last few years? And um, what's next? Like, where should I put my 100 euros in if I had to invest in something? Because I missed NVIDIA. You know, Didia was a really nice investment one year ago, but I missed it. So, um, you know, what's next? And is AI as big as we feel? Who's, Alejandro, do you want to go? Yeah, I can start. Look, I, I think we need to understand that a lot of these narratives are controlled by the same people that are getting benefits from it. So if you see the reports oh. of the big consultancy firms, you have, a, for example, AI is going to solve the problems of the world. And then you see the same report about blockchain. Blockchain metaverse. is going to solve the problem. Hospitals of... in the metaverse. How am I getting then... a surgery in the metaverse? Yeah. Correct. All these things. Quantum computing is a new one. Huh? Starting what? seeing some narrative about what quantum computing there is like quantum computing is the thing. So... And, and it, it's really interesting because at the end of the day, these technologies, right, will, will work pretty well indetermined industries and for some business cases. Personally, what I believe where it's at and it's going to be at in, in the next five years mm -hmm. is a, that mix between uh, AI and blockchain. Mm -hmm. And I will explain you why. Because like when you have the databases that are feeding actually these models for machine learning or for AI, it's going to be extremely difficult at some point to understand what of that data is actually or has been validated, right? And has not been tampered with, right? And that's when blockchain gets really, really interesting. I, I don't think I don't think hacking in the future are going to be brute force hacking as we see right now. I think hacking in the future is going to be more about people starting to just feeding uh, databases with information that is wrong. So you need to have actually some system, some technology that is going to actually be able to, or is going to help you to, to, to give some differentiation to the data that has been validated, that has not been corrupted, 
And that's where blockchain goes pretty well. So I think that mix for me is going to be just critical for whatever is going to happen in the future. I mean, uh, the, with every new technology, for, you know, even if you think about back to mobile, when mobile phones came out, there's two camps. There's the absolute hype, which you, you know, you come to expect, especially for us who work in the tech industry, you, we, you know, we can see through it. And then, then there's the kind of doomy, gloomy, who are all like, oh, you know, the year of mobile being and gone yet again, all these kind of things. And I think the same is for any new technology. I'm firmly in the optimist camp. Artificial intelligence isn't you. You know, I, my, my mum came here at the weekend and was like asking me about it. And I was thinking, oh, my God, it's become mainstream. But she's got no idea. She's just hearing about it on the news and stuff. Um, but the point is, artificial intelligence has been around since the 1940s. I mean, it's only becoming something that, you know, the main... Uh, kind of public uh, becoming aware of now through chat GBT. But I don't think there's an industry that AI won't positively impact from education to medicine to, you know, manufacturing. There's not one single industry that AI won't impact. And I believe it will be hugely um, positive. Obviously, there are negative, any kind of new technology. I know some people say about new technology, you can think back to the hammer. The very first hammer, you know, could have been used as a weapon. You could kill someone with it. Well, you could build a house with it. You know, it's like, and I think that's true of any kind of new technology is that it has great, um, you know, it has a great purpose and used by the right people. It'd be fantastic. I think, you know, we had an artificial um, intelligence safety, was it a safety summit or safety day here in the UK? Uh, and lots of leaders from across the world came. And I think regulation is no bad thing if the people that are regulating actually understand it. If they don't, then it's another thing. But, you know, I think Europe has so many fantastic founders working in this space. You know, even Demis Hassabis, who to me is the equivalent of our, he's our Elon Musk. You know, he's, he's changing the world and obviously not necessarily being written about as much as Elon. Um, so I'm going with artificial intelligence. I think it's going to positively impact every single industry. Uh, people worry about losing their jobs to it. I think, well, let's welcome it and see what other jobs it creates. Wow. So let's let's play a, a little game. Um, we are ending, you know, we are close to happy um, by the end of, 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 of the podcast. I would like to ask you three quick questions and I would love um, your answers to fit in a tweet, ex post, not tweet anymore. Mm -hmm. um, by the way, the other day in front of a lot of people in a conference, I had to download the video from Twitter. So I uh, Googled um, download oh, no. X videos. Oh dear. Do not do that. Yeah, no. yeah I, did, I didn't realize that what I did uh, the yeah. moment a lot of naked people would start to appear in front of my whole audience. And I understand oh, download the X videos. That, that name is not idea. as good as, so I, I'm sticking with Twitter, sorry. So <laughs> um, yeah, three questions, uh, the answer in a tweet. Let's start by the first one. Um, so whether it was a person you met, a lesson you learned, or an opportunity you came across, what has been the most satisfying moment? That moment where you felt like a superhero during your, you know, your business journey as entrepreneurs. Um, Danny, we can start with you. Then we go with Danielle. Sorry, okay. with Alejandro. Um, so I would say there was something that was taught to, we, we had a, like an unofficial mentor when we had the mobile apps company. And he said, um, what was, I've got to remember it now. See, this is not going to be the best tweet because I can't remember it. Well, you, something you, are, you are paying for a premium subscription. So you got 4,000 <laughs> characters. Yeah, it happened. Yeah, he, he said, um, ask, it's better to ask for forgiveness than to seek permission. And the reason why it was useful to us is because we were the little guys. As a startup, we were going up against all these agencies. 
and the agencies were taking credit for the work that we were doing and we were finding it hard to find new clients because we couldn't say oh all those awards that x agency won were actually down to us anyway i've just realized this is meant to be a tweet so uh yes uh, seek forgiveness rather than permission wow i mean a lot of some people that 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 works on that premise is uh, in jail right now. <laughs> you yes, know, well. oh, we'll ask permission <laughs> later. That's ten years of jail. No, but you know, I I, I love something you mentioned, uh, which is uh, regulations uh, are are usually a good thing if the regulators know what they are talking about. So basically, that will be my third question. But <laughs> before that, Alejandro, uh, your superhero moment on something you learned you did. I think that. There are two, and the first one is when we have the chance to just do the first POC with MakerDAO. That MakerDAO is just like the original DeFi protocol, right? And yeah. we were in concentrate, we were completely constrained for liquidity. We didn't know what to do, and suddenly that opportunity came, and we were one of the first companies ever to use the MakerDAO funding for the real world asset transactions, and that changed completely everything that we had done since then, right? Like. Uh, realistically it was the chance to see the huge opportunity that DeFi brings actually into the traditional financial space. So that was, that's the first one. And, and the second one, well, we are here and this is uh, with our friends from Huawei. So um, we were part actually of the international expansion to program uh, with Huawei in, in Ireland. And it was fantastic because that opens for us a whole new community in, in, in APAC, in China and Hong Kong that, we never dream about, we never thought actually it was going to be possible. And we have close to 1000 people in our community right now that, wow. that are following our project. And, and, and that's, that's, that's amazing. Wow. So, um, that definitely counts as a long tweet, but I'll, I'll take that because it was a very <laughs> nice story. Um, so let's give advice. I'm sure this, um, this podcast is being listened by some young entrepreneurs, uh, young or you know, not that young, but still first timers in terms of entrepreneurship, which would be the piece of advice you'd give to someone who's willing to start a business? I don't care if that person is 18 years old or is 63, but it's the first time they will be starting a business on their own. Um, in the digital era, this is which one piece of advice you could give before they start a company to avoid like that obvious failure that you see that probably new joiners to the entrepreneurship world may not see. Um, is, this, that, is this a tweet? Oh, I mean, if the question doesn't fit in a tweet, the answer can be also, uh, you, you can avoid the limit, but yeah. I was going to say, I'm, I was going to keep it quite succinct and say that um, there's a proverb that says that if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And I think that's really accurate because, um, you know, if you start on your own, and you just want to get something out there and test it out and, you know, fine, you can do it, like we said, from your bedroom. But I think having a network, if you're an entrepreneur, having a network, uh, and that's not just like, you know, other, doesn't mean other entrepreneurs only. It means funders, founders, um, you know, press journalists, everyone that you can come into contact with in the early days when you're testing out an idea. That's invaluable. I know Huawei does it with, um, like Alejandro was talking about the Spark program, but there's there's other ones that, do, you know, are doing it. And I just think be part of a community because whether you live or die is going to be down to how good your network is. You know, you can have the best product in the world, but if you can't get it scaled, you can't scale it up and you can't get it direct to consumers and the world doesn't know about it, you might as well <laughs> just be in your bedroom. So I think, yes, you know, find your network and there's, there's plenty of networks out there and, uh, 
draw them in close to you because you'll find that they will keep you going when times are tough. So the network slash team build a team card has been used. Now Alejandro, you need to give me another mm -hmm. advice because I'm looking for two minimum, uh, minimum two mm -hmm. advices to build my company. Yeah, look, I think one is don't get bullied to get into entrepreneurship. I'm seeing this with a lot of young people, right? Uh, they have fantastic ideas. Uh, they want to use it, and everybody just, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> sorry, putting so much pressure on them that, uh, look, the timing has to be right in a way, right? So don't get bullied. Like, look, get your idea, build on that idea. And, and when you believe that it's ready and you are ready for that challenge, go for it. Because at the end of the day, we need to tell like a youngster as well that that this is not it's not an easy it's not an easy path right it is a hard path you need to really believe in this you need to wake up believing actually on what your idea is going to become or or, 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 or that that this idea actually is something really meaningful to just have actually that stamina to to keep going right and and i think that's critical you were mentioning um another one of the you know the, the takeaways, um, as you all know, well, this podcast is sponsored by Huawei, which I, by the way, uh, appreciate and thank them for their full support. You were mentioning that um, you are part of this Huawei Cloud Initiative. Um, do you, I mean, it would be great to know how your experience was and, and, and would you recommend entrepreneurs to seek this kind of help from big corporations? Because sometimes you see them and say, oh, they do not speak the entrepreneurial language. They will not understand me. How can they help me if I'm too small, whatever? So could you share, you know, five cents on, 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 on the experience? And if you would recommend to new entrepreneurs to look for this kind of advice or support uh, networks like Huawei Clouds Initiative? Yeah, definitely. Like a, I think is it is really hard for smaller companies, for smaller startups, to just knock on doors that that guys like Huawei or any big corporation can can do, right? And at the end of the day, remember that that I, I think for me the success of a of a of an ecosystem, right, is the mix between every single one of these different parties that are part of that ecosystem, right? So you have the startups. You have entrepreneurs, you have uh, the, the big corporations, you have the government, you have investors. And I think when you get actually everybody together, that's, that's when real solutions and, and, and where real ecosystems are created. So for me, like I, I know there's a lot of people that will be scared about just uh, uh, doing things with big corporations. I think it's part of, of the game and, and it can help you accelerate dramatically actually growth and, and, and even just finding the right solutions for the problems that you're having. Yeah, you know, um, and, and but I'm just curious and we'll uh, leave it with that. Um, which would be the first step? I mean, can you share how the collaboration started? This is, if I'm an entrepreneur listening to you now, which would be that first step uh, in order to get this kind of help? It's like you are chosen uh, to participate in a contest or you sign up or you send an email because sometimes you forget how important you send an email, you ask for help and some people will answer you. Which was the, 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 the beginning of this for you? So uh, for us, like we, we are... At, uh part of an, a community that is called Dogpatch Labs. That's, that's oh. where we are at uh, in Dublin. That is like the largest uh, ecosystem or the largest hub for innovation in, in, in Ireland. And Huawei actually was doing 
So I've been just doing partnerships with them and just running programs with, with, with Huawei. And because we were part of that ecosystem or that network, we were had the chance actually to be selected for it. So exactly the same as, as Daniel say, it's really important actually to have that network and know your network, right? Because if it wouldn't be like a dog patch, maybe it was someone else actually that was related or was actually had the experience previously to work with one of these big corporations and say, look guys, they did that opportunity. At the moment, every single big corporation around has these type of programs, right? Okay. So it is really important for, for entrepreneurs to understand which one will suit better, whatever they are looking for or whatever they need. Oh, that's, that's um, great to hear. So, you know, I've learned a lot of things uh, during the last 40 minutes. Uh, I've learned that um, when my kids grow up, they'll need to be brave. They'll need to find the right um, partners to, to, to grow, try to avoid walking alone if, if they want to get far. And um, in case they work with um, women entrepreneurs, because my three uh, kids are boys, they uh, also need to um, get as much press as they can, um, <laughs> even if it's uh, using the wrong angle, because there is no bad press. And we need to show more cases of uh, girls entrepreneurs and, and their uh, stories and their success. Uh, we have one today. We had Danielle Newman, Newham, sorry. Um, and I appreciate your story. I appreciate you sharing this and I appreciate you you know, um, helping us to open our eyes because sometimes we um, may think something is that obvious and maybe it's not that obvious. So I really thank um, every time I have the opportunity to discover I was not using maybe the best angle for for or approaching something. We've also had Alejandro. Alejandro, it's been a, a pleasure to have you and um, definitely I'll uh, put my 100 euros in your idea. And hopefully AI and blockchain will make a great couple when it comes to uh, being a super successful company. Remember that you learned about Alejandro's Gutierrez story in this podcast and you invested in that company the moment he opens that. Um, so we'll be paying for our kids' tuitions together. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Alejandro, for your time. Uh, and please uh, do not leave us. I'll see you um, in a few days on this podcast, Digital Europe Now and Beyond. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode and I hope you found it useful. I will also link to Power and Alejandro's social media handles in the show notes as well as the original episode so you can check them out and more of Digital Europe's episodes. I also want to thank Huawei for inviting me on to be a guest on this podcast. Finally, and as always, I wanted to leave you with a quote and today it is from William Blake. I don't know why I chose this particular quote other than it's one of my favourites since I was young. And as we approach the start of a new year, it seemed fitting. So I hope you enjoy it too. It's called Eternity and it reads, He who binds himself to a joy does the winged life destroy. But he who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity sunrise.